You are listening to Season 1 of Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who think differently and want to explore ideas and topics that are relevant to all areas of their life. Hello and welcome to Episode 6. Super excited to be here today. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Joanne. How are you? Good. How are you? Super excited. It's a long weekend. Yes, and we are face-to-face recording this, yeah. which is a first, and it's I think it's weird. really great to be here together. It is awesome, and why we are face-to-face is because we have our first guest on. Hello, Karen. Hello, Joanne, Sandy. How are you? Great, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming. We've been super excited about having Karen on. Karen is a very good friend of ours, Karen Sian. And we first met Karen doing our Masters at Royal Roads. And I want to read Karen's um, Twitter bio because I think it's just awesome. It's uh, Karen Sian, and so she's at Karen Sian, and we'll put it in the show notes, all of this in the show notes. Teacher, columnist, entrepreneur, Rotarian, chair of the Waterloo Public Library Board, many hats, one goal, a stronger and healthier Waterloo region. Awesome. So that's who we're talking to today. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. But first, Karen, when we met you, you were a passionate city councillor. And we would love to hear more about that. You you went from being a teacher mm-hmm. to a city councillor. Tell us why. Well, it's an interesting question. I was, uh, I've been a teacher my entire career, and first at the public school level and now at the college level. Um, but I actually, I actually think that being a teacher is actually who I am. Like it defines absolutely everything I do. It defined, it defined my involvement in politics because it was about building capacity in a community uh, with, within my neighborhood and beyond. It defines my um, involvement with the Waterloo Public Library because it's about building literacy and building again and building capacity in our community. And it also defines my role as a you know, in my public service role as a Rotarian, because uh, Rotarians are focused on um, strengthening, you know, strengthening communities across the globe and doing really great work, particularly in developing nations in order to, you know, level the playing field for people. So, and I see that as part of teaching. That's teaching, teaching, teaching 101 is how, how do you, um, how do you help people be the best that they can be? Mm-hmm. And that's what you took into your role as a city councillor. Absolutely. And it was, um, I, I don't think I was your normal city councillor. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I did it for eight years and um, then moved along. But it's, um, I love the time I spent in politics. It taught me, it taught me an entire new set of skills that I've taken into my life going forward and about how people work together, how um, people communicate effectively and how do you leverage uh, energy and power in positive ways. And that's that's the, my taking out of politics. So I'm interested in how you made the, the transition, though, from being a teacher to being a politician. So what, what did, was oh, involved hold on, Sandy. in that? i got to say, she doesn't call them politicians. You, you don't like politicians. Did you read her <laughs> thing about that? I have a whole bunch of theories she about politics. Like politicians. So, <laughs> well, let's reframe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What word would you use instead of politician? I prefer the term political leaders. Okay. And I think that uh, we have a lot of politicians in our world, but we need more political leaders. And um, I actually came into the, I came into the role quite accidentally. 
I was very involved in my neighborhood in terms of our school and um, working with uh, local things like building playgrounds and those kind of like micro level things. And, and it was actually a funny story. I've got a lot of funny stories, but one of the ones was that um, I, was, I was at home. My kids are 21 and 24, and I was at home at a time where more people stayed home with their kids. Does that make sense? Mm, Just yeah. in times of the uh, in terms of timelines. So I had a lot of friends that were girlfriends that were at home with their children, and we were bored out of our minds with the entire stay-at-home mom routine. We loved being home with our kids, and we could, um, you know, the time you spend with your kids is great. But we also felt that we uh, needed to to do more. And I, a lot of my girlfriends were. Um, professionals. They were just taking a break from their work world in order to raise their kids. So we started organizing things and we organized fundraisers. We organized events. We organized uh, festivals. We did things um, with our skills, our, our, our professional skills at the community level. And, it, and it, I think it dramatically changed our neighborhood for the positive. So it started early. Mm-hmm. It started with this kind of, you know, community involvement piece and, uh, uh, and then people, you, you know, as often happens in leadership, you get tapped on the shoulder and somebody said to me, you know, I think you should run for city council. And I thought, oh, that's just nonsensical. Why on earth would I want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and I did. And I, and I um, ran against an incumbent and won with a 75% um, share of the vote. Wow. Uh, and in my, you know, in my neighborhood that, you know, we'd been working so hard to develop. So and that was just this, that was a really an accidental an accidental step, and it turned out to probably to be one of the most um, fortuitous choices I've ever made, which is you know that's the way life actually presents itself on a regular basis. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I love how uh, you reframe that from politician to political leader. I, I think there's a difference. Yeah. And politicians uh, politicians are in it. Um, and this, you know, these are pretty broad, broad swipes with a brush. But um, politicians um, focus on themselves, and I think we need more po- political leaders that focus on the others, so the people they represent, and particularly the people who are marginalized, people who need help, need support. Um, that's what we need. We need political leaders. We don't need more politicians. Mm. Yeah. So, who do you admire as a political leader? Oh, that's a good question. It's a good question because I also yeah. I I know for a fact that people, um, what we often see in the public is different than what you see behind the mm-hmm. scenes. And I watch way too much scandal and House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be frank. <laughs> so I can give a local example. So we we're here in Waterloo Region, and we have a, a mayor in Waterloo Region who I think really personifies. Um, this, the act of being a, pol- a political leader. And his name is Barry Verbanovich. He's the mayor of Kitchener. So this is a long-time um, you know, civil servant and, and then became a, a city councillor. And uh, I, just, I know him really well, and I know that his, his purpose is really about improving his city and, and serving the people that live there. Um, so I, I, we're lucky. We're really lucky to have a, a good, strong local example. Um, on the national scene, I'm really keeping my eye on Catherine McKenna, and she's the new she's the new environment minister of the federal government, and I look to her as potentially um, somebody who just will transform the way that people lead, and it's the way she she has conversations with people. She's enormously mm. uh, upfront and transparent, and I just think she leads from her heart and and, and is driven by the role of uh, really you know 
sustainability and understanding that the environment is such a, an important part of what we do. Awesome. We Great. had our last episode on the environment. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really good. I am really curious about uh, your first few months. <laughs> like, like, how does it happen? You get voted in and, and, and what, the next day you go into city and go to work? Do you have to Pretty resign much. or what? Like, how does well, it happen? Well, I, I bounced my teaching that year and it was didn't work right. Well. Um, but so, oh yeah, of yeah. course, because it's not a full time job. I keep forgetting it's not a full time job, folks. But right, well, it depends on where you are. Yeah, some, some 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 use probably is yeah. full time. Um, I I was totally I was probably the least experienced politician ever to walk in the door at City Hall because I had, aside from going and filing my registration papers, I had never been. I'd never been in the building, and I had really no idea what. <laughs> Really, really no idea what awesome? the job was. I just knew that um, I just knew that people wanted somebody else to speak for them, and and in perhaps in a different way. So I, I approached it, and that goes back to the teacher thing. I approached it like I approach everything else. It became a learning experience, and I and uh, you know you two both connect with that so nicely that we're on a learning journey mm -hmm. we're like it's this constant uh -huh. you know before we even started the show we were talking about okay if we did our phds what would we do <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it would be for fun it, and that's yeah. the kind of the scary thing right so i jumped in you know two feet forward and and probably maybe dove in probably be more uh, accurate metaphor but uh, and approached it just like you would approach anything else as a learning experience and and just soaked it up just soaked it up, learned about the community, learned about the processes, learned about legislation, learned about rules, learned about uh, what works, what doesn't work, how can we change things. It was just nonstop, and I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. But it also then becomes a full-time job. Yeah. And um, that's not sustainable yeah. for long term when, when you have to actually, you know, put food on the table yeah yeah so. yeah like you say in some municipalities it is full-time right. we're going to talk about a lot more than politics but I, I I just want to talk about the context that you're in as well because for a female going into city council you weren't on your own though like you weren't the lone female Waterloo was uh and I don't know if it was the first year you were first term or the second term mostly but you had a number of uh female political leaders around the table so even that context too what what a huge learning experience for the whole of the council collectively yeah. and the community collectively when they're maybe used to seeing totally men. we had, we had <laughs> a very uh the, the the council before us so this is in 2006 uh in waterloo 2006 Leading up to there, there was an uh, entirely male council. Um, and then in 2006 for the election, we had a new new council that was four women and four men, including a new female mayor. And oh wow. my 50 heavens. 50% straight off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a shock to the system for the community. And I, I remember, and, and young too. We had a young, um, one of my colleagues, Scott Whitmer, who was maybe 30 at the time. He was he was elected. And we were... We were young. Like, I was only 40 at the time, and, and my friend Diane Freeman was in her mid-30s. and Like, we were young. We broke the mold in Waterloo. And um, I remember getting, you know, we, we got a lot of pushback. And things like, oh, the kids are running the candy store, and comments like that from people. And, you know, it was really quite interesting. And, and bit by bit, and, and our first couple of years were really rocky, because when, you guys know, when, whenever you're, you're trying to create change... Um, 
it, people resist. And so one of the very first things at Christmas time, we come in at December, Christmas time, all of a sudden all this stuff starts arriving from different development groups from across southern Ontario. And the mayor actually made a decision at the time. She's like, this is nonsense. Get this stuff out of here. Whereas it had been traditional for things to arrive, like, you know, gift yes. baskets and stuff like that would arrive. And, and she just, and we agreed. We totally agreed that this was not acceptable. Um, so culture shifts started to happen. How we communicate with each other, how we communicate with the public, how we uh, share information. Uh, we're much more transparent in a much more transparent way because we felt people needed to know. And we step-by-step step, shifted the culture at City Hall. I, I have no doubt in my mind, like just dramatically shifted the way we did business at City Hall. And I do believe it came um, from having so many women and young people on council. And then at Strength in the next council was five women. And at that point in time, we were the most women on a council in Canada. Wow. Which was pretty cool. Wow. We were really proud of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a sea change that um, I and think has been a real positive impact on the city of Waterloo. And I remember you telling me a story. I don't know the particular story, but um, you, you guys did a lot of reframing of the questions, right, that, that were asked of yeah. city council. By how, you, how you interact with people, how you interact yeah. with the public, how you interact with staff, all sorts of things happening, all about reframing. What was your biggest surprise entering into that role? My biggest surprise. Sandy was, always does this. She asks yeah. the really big questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember at one point in time thinking to myself, you know, I think we, I think we really believe we live in a democracy, as a whole. I think if you walk down the sidewalk and asked, you know, any Canadian, oh, do you think we live in a democracy? They'd say, oh, yeah, we live in a democracy. I, I'm, I'm a little more wary of that. I, I see, I've seen enough mm. of what goes on behind the scenes to know that um, there's much more at play than, than what people see. Yeah. So that was a big surprise because I, I, I'm a real glass half full kind of person and optimistic and um, I've had to train myself to be skeptical, which is actually way more fun. <laughs> it's way more fun to be skeptical because it, you know, the critical thinking piece and, and understanding that, okay, yeah. let's look for, at this from different angles. Is, it's actually really exciting. Mm. Um, it's not my default, but I like to be able to leverage it. Um, but the, the democracy piece, there are a lot of, a lot of players involved behind the scenes that, and this is at the municipal level. I can only imagine what it's like as you go higher and higher and through the provincial and federal ranks. Well, they elbow each other, apparently. That's not even... Yeah, that's a whole other issue. It, it, you know, but you know what? It, it surprises me how... Uh, yeah, I'm totally disappointed with what went on, but I read a really good Huffington Post article about the dramas that happened in the... Uh, was it the House of Commons, right? Yeah. Uh, and, the House of Cards. Sorry, yeah, the House of Cards, exactly. <laughs> Which basically said everyone... Everyone involved can take a step back and go, oh, we all had a role to play in this. Absolutely. We all had a role to play in this. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and, and, and I'm thinking, I teach at the college, I'm thinking about what are we showing out? It's, it's young we, people. We're at, a, we're at a point in time, um, in my mind, and it goes back to that political leadership piece, yeah. is that um, you know, data shows us that people are not participating in the political process. They're choosing not to vote. the vote. Mm -hmm. They believe that their vote is not important. They believe that their voice is not heard. And incidents like this, what happened this mm -hmm. week at the House, the House of Commons and the House of Commons, uh, make it even worse. Yeah. It just it 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 just keeps hammering 
home the point that politicians think they're special, um, whereas it, political leaders remember what they're actually there for. Yeah. So I, I'm actually writing a column for next week, and it's about the, and the notion of humility versus hubris. Um, and, and humility is obviously probably a little less aggressive stance and hubris is really when you're driven by ego and yeah. and your you know perce- self-perception of, of how important you are and uh, I looked at that event and I analyzed it through that view that um, I think and as a, and I am a big I am a, I am a card-carrying big L liberal in this country and I gotta tell you that I would, if I could speak to Justin Trudeau I would tell him um, Justin, it's time for you to just take a breath mm. and realize that you should not believe all your press. And then just mm. because just because the polls are high and and people are behind you does not mean that you shouldn't take a moment to reflect on your role as a prime minister of this country as providing being our ultimate role model for mm. so many people. And then I would turn to Tom Mulcair, and I might not be so kind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because his actions actually, in my mind, were, were ten times worse yeah. in the fact that they orchestrated that little ploy to, to interfere with democracy. And then to watch him from one moment go laughing and, and thinking it was hilarious to screaming and yelling at the prime minister um, was enormously inappropriate. And I just think he should be ashamed of himself. Yeah. Yeah. And the issue that was on the table. I mean, it's oh. such a critical issue. Yeah, it's huge. And to to have it sidelined, yeah. you know, just to have yeah. this circus going this circus. on. This yeah. To take away from that conversation. It's, yeah. It was interesting. It's distracting. Looking mm. at, so my son is 30 this weekend, which I'm still getting Woo, over. So, yeah, I had him when I was 16, so it's all good. But he will be... 30, and I was looking at the conversation on Facebook with his mm-hmm. his um, peers, right. and they they were not fooled by what was going on. You Nobody know, they're is. they're pretty politically astute. I mm-hmm. think they were very disappointed in mm-hmm. in how how our government functions, mm-hmm. and and some of their comments. I was I was um, just impressed with their depth, but also. Like you're saying, they are they are disillusioned and mm-hmm. not voting. You know, they're keeping away from the polls in most elections. So, anyway, so yeah. how do we get on that? Yes, yeah, sorry, that was me. Example of political leadership, though, versus right? yeah. politicians. It, versus then, yeah, yes. politicians. And it's it's who you are. I mean, the 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 drive to serve community, um, I think, is awesome because most of us will just sit back and complain and lots of people like to sit back and (laughs) and and I remember saying to you I don't know how you do that job when all the negativity all the all the attacks the personal attacks you get so how did you handle that and 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 reframe that and who was around you to help I guess if if that's what you well, you know, I always Did joke, you know, you, we, the three of us have done the same um, master's degree in leadership and um, my focus was around organizational change as well. And uh, I, I always joke, we paid a lot of money to learn some pretty simple things. <laughs> like, it's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you go, you know, you go through the early part of your life thinking, you know, everything's about me. Mm-hmm. Me, me, me. I'm raising young adults. I know. I see it firsthand. And... Um, yeah, it's interesting. So I paid, we paid a lot of money to learn. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, breathe. <laughs> breathe. Yeah. 
um, that you don't have to have an immediate response and you don't have to have, you don't have to, and I'm, I'm somebody who has a, a, traditionally has a temper. And so that's my Italian, Irish, double whammy heritage at play that I haven't, I have a, I've, you know, known to have a temper. Um, and my parents would be, probably, hopefully I, my parents would be able to tell you that over the course of time that that is, is coming down. Um, at least in public. Behind <laughs> 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 closed doors. Behind closed doors. My children made it free. Uh, however, I, I've learned over the course of time that I do not have to have an immediate response to everything. And when I te- when I do do take that step and have an immediate response, it sometimes doesn't end well. So I've had to learn. I've had to teach myself mm. that just. Just relax a little bit, and I, I have some really good. I have some friends that are really good at it, and that's been a good experience for me to see it. Um, the other and the other one, it's not about me. That's actually, I think, one of the most important things people can learn mm. flat out is that if someone's, uh, you know, and I remember from school, if someone's really upset with you, don't don't internalize it and mm. don't take it personally, but think about it. And there's that saying, the saying that a truly intelligent and truly evolved person can take two opposing ideas and hold them in their mind. And just think about them without rushing to judgment or, or rushing to anger or rushing to, you know, fear. Just think about them. Uh, things I teach my students. It's try to focus on ideas versus, versus emotions. Try not to personalize things. And, I'm, you know, my, my programs I teach in are all human-based. I teach in public administration and community service and small businesses. People, there's a lot of personal interaction. But try to focus on ideas, not emotions. Don't personalize things. Remember, it's not about you. So don't get your don't get your uh, hackles up or your defense mechanisms up so quickly. Uh, but you know, I'm turning 51 this year, and I'm going to tell you that it's probably since I was 45 that I figured that out. <laughs> oh, I still got a few more years. In <laughs> it's an evolution, right? Yeah. And I, and I look back now and I think of all the energy I wasted over the course of time when it came to. Um, whatever like getting mad about things or getting upset about things or whatever it's just not worth it it honestly is not worth the time and energy i have to share my friend in england had a birthday yesterday and she wrote you know everyone write, writes on their facebook happy birthday so she wrote um thanks for all the birthday wishes um one year older which means i give a toss just a little bit less than yesterday <laughs> And something you taught me, and you've both taught me as well, is uh, in our in our advanced years. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yes. we've had that conversation. <laughs> but is everyone has their own story, right? Yeah. So it's not about me. And don't forget, they have their own stuff going on yeah. too. So, so be kind. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So and, so and then another one too in there is the be kind to yourself. Yeah. Oh, God, I think our, our our own we're our own worst enemies when it comes to so much of these. Um, you know how we how we judge ourselves and oftentimes when we're judging other people it's because we're judging ourselves Mm -hmm. and it's reflecting in that way so yeah I think as we mature versus age but (laughs) as we mature there you're able to hold those things Mm -hmm. easier like I find that I'm far more open to differing opinions I don't have Mm -hmm. to be right I don't Mm -hmm. have to have someone validate my opinion by agreeing with me mm-hmm. you know I can live quite comfortably with people who have differing views and opinions even though I don't understand why they have their opinions and views I can appreciate that they have them and I think I've let go of a lot of 
things that I held, you know, pretty tightly at one point in my life, and and uh, it's good. So, with that in mind, you know, it's interesting having younger politicians or political leaders. I'm being educated, yeah. <laughs> and thinking about that, you know, there is something mm. to be said about experience and wisdom, and the the need for balance. I think mm-hmm. in because I think there is something that that um, younger people bring to the table in terms of idealism and energy and new understandings and expressions mm-hmm. of things. But I do think there needs to be balance, like not just gender, but also across the board in, in lots of different ways. So I, I don't know if I have a question around that. <laughs> well, it's the diversity question, right? Yeah. So often people go to, when we talk about diversity, they go ethnicity. Yeah, right straight to the ethnicity mm-hmm. issues. So, but if you really look, when you're looking at a um, social services perspective, serving uh, community, uh, diversity is about a, a plethora of things. Is that how you say plethora? Plethora. Yes. Plethora. Australian way. Plethora. It means. It means. Put some definitions. Yeah. <laughs> um, age, gender, ethnicity, mm-hmm. socioeconomic, uh, experience, experience, everything. Like it's just it's uh, it's about identifying who do you need at the table, and making sure they're there. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. So speaking of experiences, one thing you love to do is travel. Oh yeah. <laughs> And actually, we all have that in. I mean, who, yeah, we're all well, driven by that. some people who don't like to travel, so that's fine. But love traveling, and I think that we're, we are very community oriented. So part of the traveling for me is is learning about mm. where you're going and and eating those foods and trying to speak that language. And do you have a uh, blog, Carry On Traveler? And uh, you've, you travel a lot with friends and a lot on your own. So tell us what kind of sparked the journey of, like, when was the first trip you went alone? Do you even remember? Oh, <laughs> way back when, when I was young, I went, I, uh, went to Europe on my own. Right. Or I didn't go on my own. I went with two girlfriends and we lasted about, I'd say, about two weeks together. And then, <laughs> and then we kind of went our, our different ways. We made it through Spain and Portugal. <laughs> And then we thought, you know what, I think we're probably going to be better off on our own. So I took off on my own. So that was my first, I think I was 19 and backpacking across Europe. And I remember that. I remember that feeling of, of independence and, uh, and freedom and, and learning. I just loved it. Just mm. loved it. And figure, having to figure out, you know, you're this young girl from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and you're, you're in a foreign country. And, you know, you got to figure out how you're going to be safe and how you're going to survive and all these kind of things. How are you going to survive on cheese and wine? Like those are big decisions you have to make. <laughs> which type of cheese and which wine? Which yeah. beach to sit on yeah, and drink it? Yeah, and then um, and then you know, normal life, hmm. marriage, kids, all that kind of stuff. You you spend all that time with your family, and and traveling with your family. And I always and I you know I love traveling with my kids. I travel with them one at a time because they're very different. They like to do different things, but. Um, those are more adventures. Like I like, you know, I like to travel too, just to kind of get just kind of solidly in my own headspace. Mm-hmm. And that's where this notion of traveling on my own came into play because I often, and I, it might be largely too, because I do have a pretty public life here. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 it's, I, it's a rare day that somebody doesn't come up to me and want to talk to me about something to do with, you know, library or community or city or something. Um, so, 
in order to really get that solo headspace, I have to take off and I have to go on my own. And I will go, I will go and I'll go for long times. And I love it. It's, it's, it's maybe a form of retreat for me. Um, and I will, I'll very rarely talk to anybody. I'll, re, I'll just, just kind of do what I want to do and maybe interact with a few people here and there. Um, strangers, mm-hmm. you know, talking to them at a, at, at a bar or a cafe or something, but that's about it. Mm. People watching. You like to people oh, yeah. watch. Learn yeah. a lot from people watching. Yeah. And this is kind of the surprising thing. We've done a lot. You guys, I remember a couple of weeks ago, you talked about introverts and extroverts. I actually, I'm, pre- I'm pretty borderline with that introvert, extrovert thing. And I have, I think I've figured it out that I have a public extroversion and a at-home introversion. And there's a, I think there's a term for that called high, high emotional or I, I often say high needs introverts, <laughs> um, but high emotional introverts. And it's a different, it's a, a slight variation that I need, I need that solo headspace mm. and I, and I, I work in the public space. Yeah. Okay. And the travel is, it just, just fuels my batteries like nothing else. So what are some things that really work when you're traveling alone? Because I'm thinking of maybe going to a conference in California in the fall on my own. So, I mean, I'll have, I'll have the, um, a couple of days of a conference, mm-hmm. but then I was thinking oh, it would be nice to do something like go before or after for Definitely. a few days as a bit of a retreat, actually, is yeah. what I'm thinking. So yeah. give me some tips. Okay, so you can go to my blog, carryontraveler.ca, and read. I've got a whole bunch of stuff in there. Uh, ranging from uh, pack really lightly, which you probably do already, I think. that Pack really lightly because then you're really fluid on your feet and you can look after yourself. You don't have to rely on anybody else for anything. Um, choose a place to stay that's in, it's super central if you want to be in a city uh, because it allows you to walk everywhere and, and be everything's accessible. So, you know, I'll, I'll use Florence as an example. I would never stay outside of a core in a city like Florence mm-hmm. or Rome or, or, or L- oh, maybe LA, I might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd do your research. I'd take a different core. I'd go to like Santa Monica or mm-hmm. some of the, one of the beach towns and stay down there. Someplace that has um, all the services you need that you can just kind of access on foot. Mm. And uh, those are like kind of the starting points, right? So make sure that you put yourself in a situation that you're self-sufficient, that you're not isolated in a big hotel, or you're isolated someplace that you need transportation. Mm. Those are those are choices you can make before you even get there, right? If you want that isolated experience, go for it. Right. But just know that sometimes when you're alone in a house, you might feel a little, a little vulnerable. So mm. I, I like bed and bed breakfast or tiny little hotels, mm. like a boutique hotel. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I think yeah. the key thing for me I've learned is make sure I'm someplace that I can access everything I want on foot. And you know what's really great for that is Google Maps. You just look at where you are staying. You can say, oh, I can see everything that I need is within there. So if needs be, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good tips. And we will put a link to your, your sure. blog in our show But I think notes. varying it up. I think one time you went to New York and you said, you know, at dinner time you watched a movie. Yeah, and you made your own choices. Instead yeah. of feeling like you have to sit at the bar alone or, or at a dinner table alone yeah. or, or eat in your hotel room. Like so you can still do other stuff. New York City is the perfect place to go on mm. your by yourself, and people look at me and kind of go, "Are you crazy?" But New York, in my mind, New York City is the perfect, perfect solo travel spot because you're never alone. You're never really yeah. alone in New York City because the people are so friendly, 
So every person you interact with will chat with you. So if you need to chat, then you can chat. And um, I'm looking at you, Joanne. (laughs) (laughs) And, And if you want to be by yourself, then you're by yourself, right? There are boutique hotels everywhere. And there are every restaurant that you walk into will have solo seating. Because a lot of people are in New York on their own. They're either there for work or they're there, you know, for whatever reason. A lot of people live on their own in New York City. They're all in that urban area. So I can walk into any little restaurant in New York City and grab a bar seat. And I can can tell you that I, I don't think I've ever sat at a bar, up at a bar, to have dinner and not um, had a really great conversation with somebody if I wanted to. See, the bar seat's a good one too, you know, right. at, at yeah. a, a, instead of a table or whatever. Because yeah. the bar, you do have people, you've got the bartender, you've got people kind of just milling around yeah. but if you need to. It's a funny that you say, so I get into the, so extrovert, extrovert, full extrovert. But, and I know you don't change as you get older, but... Um, when, you know, when Ash goes away sometimes, like I'm quite happy not to arrange anything and just be in my space. And so that's what happened this week. However, then it starts to work on the negative for me. So I'm not my best when I'm too much alone, right? I need to be energized by people. So then I start to, huh. wa- yeah, watch too much Netflix or whatever, right? So, so then I, yeah, it starts to do the negative. So, so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, piece of trying to get that balance of, of mixing the two. And you need to know what where you get what, your fuel from. Exactly. Yeah, what fuels you. And so that's what I heard from you is that's your um, – you, you can decompress but also re-energize being on your own. Because I know a lot of people want to travel with you, but you're not like yeah. – you know? Sounds terrible, but one of my one of my friends said to me the other couple of weeks ago when he heard that I went to New York City, he said, you know, my wife, my wife would go with you. And I'm like, uh, no. I said, I think you missed the point as to why I travel. I'm not there to be someone's tour guide. I'm not there to be, I just want to go and be there. Mm. I'm not, I don't have an agenda. I don't, I, I'll buy theater tickets. That's one thing I'll do. But I do not, no. Yeah. <laughs> not, I don't need somebody with me. <laughs> it's interesting how we have that idea that people need to be with yeah. someone all yeah. the time when they're traveling or unless it's business then it's okay but to be intentional about going on a trip by yourself I think it's, it's so I think powerful. it's very powerful yeah I, I that's where yeah. I would use as well I think it's there's a, there's a feeling you have that I'm I'm enough I'm you know I can take care of myself I don't need to rely on someone else it's it's a great feeling yeah. Yeah, and doing what you want to do, which, I mean, you 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 essentially can, but when you've got meetings and agendas and got to try people or look after folks or kids or whatever, you can't really. So this is, you know, if I want to sleep in till 10, I can. If I want to get up and go to, for a walk early, I can. If I want to eat dessert at 10 o'clock in the morning, I can do that too. If I want to have popcorn for dinner, yeah, if I, I will. Want, yeah, popcorn for dinner, I will. So, so Olivia Pope of you. <laughs> It's handled. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? And you wrote a great blog about that. Um, So something else that is very near and dear to your heart and Sandy's too is um, libraries. And I can throw in a whole, why do we need libraries? But you know I'm not going to do that. Sandy, do you have a question, Sandy, or are you just freaking out right now? I was just freaking out about why do we need libraries? Yeah. So, um, 
But I did see some posts the other day about people questioning, and you're a huge advocate of libraries. And what I love about you is uh, it's, it's putting you in a, a situation somewhat vulnerable, I guess, because you are the chair mm -hmm. of, of your, the Waterloo Public Library. Um, amongst your peers who were peers and, and colleagues of city council mm -hmm. and, and and you really take that role like you said it's a this is my job this is Absolutely. my job I have to advocate for the library yeah um, so when people say to you do people come up to you in the street and say what why are we spending all this money on the library Karen well that's been <laughs> that's a perennial conversation right so particularly in, in a city like Waterloo that's so technology based mm. um, there's been a lot of chatter over the years and I've been on the library board now for I think it's 10 years um, and just my first job was at, at, at the Saskatoon Public Library. I, I am all about libraries. I am like, at, the, at, yeah. at the core of everything I do. It's about, like I said earlier, it's about education, literacy, uh, access, and equal access to, um, or, you know, there's that conversation between equality and equity. I'd say an mm. equitable access to the resources that a community like ours has to offer. And I, and I see that the library is, is the heart of that. So I will, I will, I've said it before, I will, to my dying day, I will advocate for libraries. And interesting, in Ontario, the Public Libraries Act predates the Municipal Act. So public libraries as an, a public institution are, um, are, are more long-standing long than actually the municipalities are. And, and we have a, a lot of legislation around public libraries that are centered around the Public Libraries Act, and it's set up to protect libraries, public libraries, from being tampered with and tinkered with by municipalities. That's uh -huh. fascinating stuff. It's absolutely fascinating yeah. stuff. So a lot of my role is about navigating that interface when when cities wow. are, and my role, but I also, I mean the library board chair in every municipality across the province, um, part of their job is to make sure mm -hmm. that, the, that there's a hands-off approach from the municipality to the library. So as if a municipality turns to a library and says you have to cut your budget and your collection spending, the Public Library Act protects that in order to make sure that libraries are, are maintained as a resource for everyone in a community. So it's, it's a hugely political role. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably one of the, I think, one of the, probably the most important political role I've ever had. And, and we're getting some amazing stuff accomplished because uh, we were we were in a major pickle mm. in terms of uh, move forward position, and we're going to get through it mm, effectively. Sandy, you go to the library weekly all the time. Yeah. So I I actually tried to get on the library board when we lived in Burlington. In Burlington it's yeah. very difficult to get on the board. It's talking about a political board. It's like one of the ones that everybody wants on. It's very um, tough to get on there. I moved to Hamilton and. I see now even more how important libraries are because I, the area I live in is one of those areas going through gentrification, which right. means there's a lot of you know low-income demographic in the area as well. It's a real mix. Mixed. Mm -hmm. And so we have a little library in our neighborhood, not a little library on your lawn, like a, a smaller <laughs> branch library. And it is packed all the time with people accessing computers, getting books, getting, it's just, it's busy all the time. If anything, I think they need to increase their hours because they're closed two days a week. I think they should be open seven days a week because I think people should have access every day to those services, not just five days a week. 
And yeah, and online, I mean, I get, I don't buy a magazine anymore. I get everything on my iPad through the library mm. and audiobooks. I, I just, I think when people, I just don't think people know what the libraries offer. Yeah. You know, they see them as you go get a book and, you know, I do it all online and then they send me an email saying your book's here and I just pop in and get it. Mm-hmm. It's just a different way that you use the library now. But a lot of people use it for looking for work, for educating themselves, for accessing, you know, courses. And I just think it's it's a community hub. It's one of the very few public services that hits every demographic of the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you look at minor sports, it hurts, hits a specific demographic. When you look at education, it hits a specific demographic. When you look at health care, it hits a certain demographic. Um, libraries hit at the at the grassroots level libraries hit every single demographic seniors children families entrepreneurs uh, new canadians across the board and it is the in my mind is the most important public service in a community and that we need to we need to be in heightened uh, a heightened awareness um when it comes to protecting it for the long term yeah yes yeah we need to reframe uh and yeah. educate ourselves on what public libraries offer because it's not just the book and going and streaming through right you know but it can be that if you want so interestingly um public libraries have been engaged in this debate for years and 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 being part of it for so long it's been fascinating to watch that the traditional library model being embraced by so many and then there was a new push for Mm. libraries to become a hub a community hub Mm -hmm. and and that interface for about five years was really really divisive and a lot of conflict it was actually one of the leaders was the Cambridge Public Library because you had a library and you had a chief librarian down here that was so visionary that completely transformed Cambridge's public libraries mm-hmm. and became a, a really a beacon for the rest of the province. So that you've got, and it's interesting, right? You'd think, well, Cambridge, you know, isn't that Waterloo's job to be innovative and all this? Well, no, we're playing catch up. We're playing catch up in Waterloo to, to, to keep up with what libraries like Cambridge are like. Um, so you've got this now, we've come through that conflict piece and now there's an acceptance that libraries are that community hub and that they're about programming, access to resources of a variety of you know kinds. Um, we're looking at a new east side branch on the west side, on the, on the east side of Waterloo that will probably include a maker space. So how do we use technology in the library in a new and innovative way? And that's the future of public libraries. Mm-hmm. I know in Burlington they opened a new branch in a seniors complex mm-hmm. as, as well. So people on limited income who have a place to gather to meet with other people. And it's it's been a great resource in this building with all these other services. And the uh, it's been used really well. So uh, another thing about libraries is books obviously not just community <laughs> hubs so what's the most interesting book you've read lately so i always look mm. at your instagram posts where you like put your mm. stack of <laughs> books you just purchased yeah. so or you know you tackle all of was it can can reads. reads you read every yeah. did you read all of them no I, that's my summer my summer oh, okay reading. yeah uh the first one i'm reading right now is the illegal by lawrence hill and it's and it, it actually won the canada reads uh, award and it, holy moly is it something else he's he, good yeah wow yeah he's an incredible author but this I didn't even expect this book didn't even expect it to be what it was and it, it captured me immediately and it's it's a beautiful piece of literature 
It's interesting. I've held off reading that because I love the book of Negroes. And I thought, how could he have two books that good in him? So I will read that one now. I really did think that. I thought, you know, is this fair? Is this going to be as good? I expect so much from this guy. <laughs> it's so funny. We don't want our expectations to be. It's so funny. <laughs> no, possibly no one can have two really good books. <laughs> It's, it's amazing. And there's something about the way he writes that um, you, you think you're there. Yeah. Which wow. you would have picked up too in the Book of Negroes. Yes. Yeah. I'll have to read that one. Yeah. That's good. I find that I learn so much through fiction. So, you know, mm. I think like a book like The Arenda, it just sparks so much desire to learn more about history. Yeah. So it, it kind of is a gateway. Mm. books are a gateway drug yeah. yeah but they are to that learning me, thing they are a gateway into finding out more yeah. because you you know they give you a well-written book can give you this interest in history or or politics or leadership or something else then that makes me want to go read and and learn more about that so yeah i don't know if you find that but i i right now i'm reading a book on um it's called principles to live by and I'm reading it, I'm in this National Post book club where you sign up and then they send you a book and you read it and review it. And oh, so it's Ooh. it's all about um, the Maritimes, but it's also about the main character in it. it had a lot to do with the genocide in Rwanda and then the Canadian government's involvement in that and all this. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go back and find out yeah, yeah, yeah. more about this because I had no idea where we what Canada the role Canada played or didn't play in the genocide in Rwanda but yeah. this book the story in this book is is really compelling so amazing yeah I read uh, recently just before I read uh, this one I read a book called Who by Fire by Fred Stenson and uh, also a Canadian I tend to read a lot of Canadian literature uh, but I read it and it, and it was a really good book Really heavy material, but also a story of a fa really a, a story of a family living in Alberta uh, at, at the time that the oil industry was starting to take shape, and mm. so it was about um, farmers and then having their land, mm. you know, you know, basically confiscated and taken over, and their lives, you know, destroyed basically by the big oil machine. Um, and the and it flipped back and forth between now and then, and now the, the youngest child of that family is part of the you know the machine around Fort McMurray. And I read that, like, you know, leading up to the, the a couple weeks before the fire started in Fort McMurray. And, and, I, and the knowledge I had from that book actually helped me really, really consider what was going on in Fort McMurray in a different way. Mm. Yeah, it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And that, that's, that's literature. That's fiction, literature, helping people learn about real-life things. Right, it's storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and storytelling is which is a connect connects us. Yeah, storytelling exactly. connects us, and and as humans, we need connections. Um, okay, so I have two big questions for you as part of a wrap up. Uh, Should I run to the door? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should I open the wine? So, <laughs> so okay, so you turned fifty last year. Mm -hmm. Last year, so storytelling what what's been your what what do you think your most significant reframe story over the course of time or yeah. since i turned 50 no over the course of time <laughs> um 
Give me a little bit more to work off that on that one. What my most in, in terms of what? Like in terms of yourself. Yeah. I, oh, I would yeah, say you, you gonna... what have you what do you feel like in like turning fifty I think is a time of reflection for a lot of us, mm -hmm. you know? Those decades. Mm -hmm. And there's you know, especially for women, I think turning fifty is a um, a time of either trying to hold back something or embracing what's what is now in and all the fullness of that. So I'm sure that you probably spend some time reflecting on on things. So what what would be something that you've reframed about your life? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question, and it and I think it goes back to um, a couple things. Is that I, I started I started out living a pretty traditional life, you know, uh, married right out of university and and having my kids and staying home with my kids. And then, so I've kind of um, taken a really weird route into my life right now, uh, which I think is awesome. And I, and, I, and I know, and all my friends always tease me that I'll never retire. I'll, I'll work until I'm in a box somewhere or in an urn somewhere. <laughs> and um, because there's so much to do. And, and I think that goes back again to my understanding as, as I'm maturing, as I turned 50, is that I am, I am a, a small piece in a large system and I have a responsibility in order to make sure that I do what I need to do and what I can do in order to to improve the system and it goes back you know I, I have some pretty um, pretty strong values-based leadership principles about what drives me and and we talked about it earlier I the margin how people are marginalized marginalized in our society people who need support um, and leveling playing fields for people in order to to move forward uh, those are that's what's important to me and I'll keep on doing that uh, as long as I as long as I can do that and mm. I'm lucky I'm so fortunate to have the you know the gifts that I have in terms of um, intelligence and um, resources and perspective and parents like my parents mm. have like you know I give all of that responsibility to them that they taught us from an early age what our role was on this planet. Mm. Um, they were there to look after other people. So I'm coming into that now. I really feel like at, at this phase of my life is when I can embrace that full on um, and, and make things happen. That's awesome. And as you were talking about, you know, traditional family life, I was reflecting on then how does that carry through or not to your children? Because you, you've grown and developed so much in your journey mm -hmm. and then then you get to pass on a lot of that wisdom and thoughts and, and openness to non-traditional things. Yeah, and I think my kids are both wired that way, that they get that it's about what's possible. Yeah. It's not about other people's rule books. And I just, sometimes I wish that, um, I wish that we did a better job in that in this society that it's really the rule books that are out there around how you're supposed to behave as a, you know, or what path you're supposed to take as a young woman. Well, those are other people's rules. And I think that you need to have your own rules and understand that if you want to make a different set of choices, go for it. Do it. Because, because at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to live with them. Yeah. As someone who's made some different choices in her life, it's really good to hear that and, ha and, and how, how we should enable all women because I mean our podcast is mainly for women and it's mm -hmm. about it's about 
women who think differently or supporting women to be able to think differently. And that's why we wanted you on as a guest because if we can picture anyone who... <laughs> Who thinks different? Who's different? Like, really? <laughs> really? It's that, isn't there? There's a Fleetwood Mac song, the one that go your own way. Yeah. I got two favorites. One is the one the um, rulers make poor lovers. Better let your, like, better put your kingdom up for sale. And I'm like, forget it. Yeah. I will never put my kingdom up for sale. You have to steer your own ship. Steer your yeah. own ship, which yeah. is, was going to be my last question. You kind of answered that in terms of uh, what you're going to continue to do. But, yeah, my, my last question is really, like, what, what, what's next? Uh, I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. I, I, and it. I'm open to that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I'm open to whatever comes next. And, and Possibilities. Yeah. Open to possibilities. Yeah, and as long as I, I'm able to continue to teach in some way, shape, or form, I'll be happy. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's so good. Yeah. Well, I'm really amazing. Yeah, I'm really happy we had you on our first interview, our first guest that we've interviewed, and it, it's been great. I'm yeah. glad. Thank you for coming on and for opening up and telling us a little bit about your life and some of the things you've reframed and help us to think differently. I have learned. Okay, so in in walking away today, Joanne and I are going to say one thing we've each learned from you. I have learned about political leader instead of politician, and that's something that I will think a lot more about. I like that. Thank you. And we you. need to we need to expect we need to expect our elected officials to be political leaders and not politicians. Yes, I I like yeah. that a lot. That's going to be my tweet this week. So, yeah. Joanne, awesome. what's yours? Gonna be? You know what I loved. I mean, we went through some pretty uh, intense experiences when we first met and uh, Karen's been a great friend for Ashley and I moving into this region and um, I just love that we can just sit and connect and still learn more right like the story you shared about um, all the neighborhood work that you did before before you were mm -hmm. a political leader I didn't I didn't know about all of that work I know Karen is community through and through and absolutely driven to help people and uh, thank you very much. Thank Karen. you. What a we pleasure. really enjoyed it. And we'll put all the links to uh, uh, Karen has a, um, a newspaper article as well that she writes and her blog and her Twitter and all of that so you can stay connected um, with uh, all her postings and, and what she's up to. So thank you guys. We'll see you next time. Hi Life Reframers, did you enjoy our podcast today? If so, we'd really appreciate a review on iTunes, SoundCloud or our Facebook page. For more information, visit our website reframeyourlife.ca and sign up for our newsletter.